Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We got a very special guest today, Brandon Maddox from Silencer Central. It's good to meet you. I don't think uh, we we were trying to run into each other at Shot Show a couple of months ago, but you know it's a busy time of year, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, good to meet you. Yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about yourself, about your background, and how you got into this industry. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Brandon Maddox, I'm a CEO and founder of Silencer Central. We're based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, I started in 2005, so we've been doing it uh, a little over 18 years. Um, I grew up in the Southeast, um, went to school in North Carolina, so I did undergrad and pharmacy school at Chapel Hill, and then I did my MBA at Duke and mostly um, was in the pharmaceutical industry, and then I married a gal from South Dakota, so that's how I ended up getting to South Dakota, and the honest truth is I started uh, prairie dog shooting, and what I found is they're more astute than you would think. You take one shot, and they kind of go in the hole, so mm. I thought maybe I should get a suppressor, and uh, the process of getting it was extremely painful, so that's when I said I'm going to get my own license so I can get my own easier, and the license to do that's fairly expensive, so to maintain that license, I decided I probably ought to sell a few, and then it kind of started from there, working you know, gun shows, sportsman shows, farm shows. And really, our whole business model is how do we make the process of buying a suppressor super easy? And so we manage all the paperwork and the entire process for the customer. And we're actually physically licensed in all 42 states where suppressors are legal. And then we just mail them to the customer's front door once they're approved. Oh, wow. That's uh, I should have come to you guys earlier because I've been waiting. Uh, you know, I keep weaving in and out of it i keep losing track of uh because i'll go to a local store and it's like hey i'm looking for a, a dead air sandman uh and they're like oh yeah we're gonna get some in soon we'll let you know and then i call them back two months later and they don't have them still and they don't uh uh or i'm sorry they they've they got some and then sold them like well you didn't think to call me because kind of <laughs> ask you about that it is uh kind of a pain in the ass yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. You know, the, yeah, the, 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 you know, we're a dealer, so mm -hmm. we can sell any, anything pretty much. Um, but yeah, if you call us, we work directly with you to do all the paperwork digitally. And then we facilitate all the paperwork out of Sioux Falls on the front end. And then on the back end, we facilitate all the paperwork to get it mailed to your front door. So it's a, it's a very smooth process. Why do you think other than just standard government bureaucracy and incompetence that it's so difficult? Like what, what it, my, my thoughts are that this is just like uh, it, it's a, a premium item. So it's something that's easy for the anti-gun lobby to target and, and have a win under their belt, maybe. I, I, but I don't understand that suppressors are not used in crimes very right. often. I mean, it's it is extremely rare that that's the case. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So honestly, I think it's just that the government is dysfunctional. Um, and I think that you know, they don't, they've never resourced it properly. Uh, right now they probably have 35 employees that that's all they do are these applications and they'll probably get a million this year. So they just don't have the, the processes in place or the people and headcount to actually get it done. And the hard part is that when I first started doing this, it was a two week wait. Mm -hmm. So over time, as the, as the, as the length of time, as soon as they hire more people and speed up the process, more people buy them. And then it just, it, it ends up slowing up the process again. 
Mm, it's like a slinky effect, kind of. Totally. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and you guys, uh, what's the, uh, how does that all work? Like if I was trying to buy uh, an SBR or another NFA item, is that possible to buy it on the internet get and then just have it shipped to my house? Or is it just suppressors you can do that with? Or well, that's a good question. So, um, and, and honestly, it varies by state too. So, um, you know, some states have things in place with SBRs that they don't have with, you know, suppressors. But just to keep it simple, we typically just do the suppressors. Um, the, the other honest truth is I would say that probably 99.9% .9 of the other dealers in the country probably don't understand how we do it where we actually ship it to the front door. Well, can you explain that process? Because I don't think a yeah. lot of people know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in simplest terms, you know, Sangwitzer Central is based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And our, um, you know, each each location has its own FFL. So we have locations in 42 states. So each location has its own uh, specific federal farms license specific to that uh, location. But our EIN number is our tax number, and that's kind of the books that the, the NFA items use, like the silencers. So essentially what we're doing is we're just transferring the silencer from South Dakota to, say, Texas, and then it's being transferred from our Texas license from us directly to you. And then, then when the silencer is approved, we're just mailing it directly from our Texas location to your front door. And the reason why we're able to do that is if you read the federal statutes like the Gun Control Act, it says if there's no background check required, uh, then you don't have to meet face-to-face -to, -face to do a 4473. Hmm. Now, there's a big process that we have to do on the back end to uh, make up for that. But essentially, the federal law says if there's no background check required, and with an NFA item, there's no background check required because the ATF sent your information to FBI to have a background check done before they sent us the approval. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, and... What kind of, uh, when you were first setting this up, did you, was, was there the same kind of pushback against uh, NFA items as there is today? No, I mean, I'm like you. I think that ATF doesn't really see them as a um, public safety issue. And the main reason why I bring that up is if, if I get one that's stolen out of them, you know, we have signature required on everything we ship. Mm -hmm. Occasionally the post office, you know, being the government doesn't have you sign for it. If one's stolen from a mailbox, um, you know, we call ATF in Texas, and I don't want to say they hang up on us, but they aren't too excited to get our call. Like, it just it's not an issue for them. It's, you know, we almost have to encourage them because what we find is if they, like, sometimes it'll get delivered to the wrong address, and then it becomes an Easter egg hunt as to where it's at. And we really need their involvement to, you know, make a few phone calls, and then it typically mysteriously appears once they get involved, but it's often hard to engage them. They just don't necessarily see it as a public safety issue, and I just don't see the, like, I had one stolen... Um, in South Dakota and in South Dakota, that's not considered a firearm um, per state law. So there was really no way to press state charges and the feds were unwilling to press charges. You know, the state would press charges, but it was for the value of the item. Mm -hmm. And the feds wouldn't press charges because they're like, we're not going to put someone in jail for, you know, 10 years as a first time offender for a silencer being stolen. So I think that most people feel like it's not a, um, you know, public safety issue, but, but I would agree. There's not a whole lot of um, encouragement or sentiment on the side of the government to give additional funding to make a process quicker. I do find though that typically our customers are more affluent. And one thing I find that ATF does not like is congressional inquiries. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon for our customers to call their elected officials and say, why is it taking me nine months to 
buy something to screw on the end of my gun when I'm already, you know, approved to own the firearm itself. And that creates a congressional inquiry and ATF doesn't like those. So I know that they, they, they even approached Trump right before he got elected and kind of as an olive branch type thing of, Hey, how maybe we could work together to deregulate these because they, it just creates so much work for them to do the processing. It's basically putting a task on their plate that they have to execute properly. And then it's creating all these congressional inquiries, which they don't like. So they would love to do away with the whole NFA process. But then on the flip side, you see them trying to do the pistol braces where now they want to treat them with short bow rifles. So it's probably specific just to the silencers. Sure. I mean, yeah, that, I feel like this is just, um, I feel like this is just political appeasement for the anti-gun folks, the people that vote on those issues, because uh, totally. all of these executive orders and such are there. Well, first, they're unconstitutional. And every single one that goes uh, like the, the bump stock ban just got, uh, you know, removed. Um, yeah. And that was Trump, by the way, that did that. Just so everybody just so everybody remembers, <laughs> it's not like. This is just uh, lefties doing this shit. Um, but yeah, this uh, the pistol brace thing is not going to hold up. I mean, to be honest, the easiest <laughs> the easiest uh, uh, fight against that particular thing is just the ADA, right? I mean, the the Americans yeah, yeah. with Disabilities Act. Like, you can't. There's totally. no. It's. It, I, I keep telling because a bunch of people have asked me, and I'm not asking you to weigh in since you're a business owner in this in this industry or anything. But a lot of people have asked me what my plans are with with my guns like that. And I'm like, I don't have any plans except for to continue shooting them because I'm <laughs> I'm not going to participate in a de facto gun registry from the federal government when it's this entire thing is going to get overturned sometime in the next year. It's fucking stupid, right? Yeah, that's 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 the way I think it's going to happen too. Because I've just been from a business perspective, I've been thinking about um, you know if they've hired 35 people to process these form ones, let's hope those 35 people then get pushed over to the form fours on the suppressor side once this gets shot down in the courts yeah i mean well i'm not as sure i'm not sure exactly what their plan is but i you can certainly count on the government to be incompetent right which is nice oh yes 100 um, yeah totally <laughs> so i want to talk about some specific um stuff so i i have uh my two primary long weapons are a 300 blackout and uh, a 556 both from sons of liberty gunworks they're uh, mike's a buddy of mine. i really enjoy their their guns um and i know that uh you guys i don't think you guys carry uh dead air right oh yeah no we're a dealer for them oh you are okay so yep. right now my plan has been to grab a sandman because it's interchangeable between those two platforms and uh the uh, flash suppressor i have uh on there is uh it's it's a it's a quick detach right so you can just screw it on yep. screw it off from one yep. gun to the next and it's also a very i'm not uh I, I guess my question is uh does that sound like a good plan to you or would you would you prefer to have different uh, uh suppressors for different weapons like that yeah good question so Typically, when you hear 300 blackout, you think about a dirty round. So it's nice to be able to have one that you could take apart to clean. Right. Um, and then you can get the, you know, the carbon build out, out, out of it and then rebuild it. Um, you just want to make sure that whatever you're using, typically, if you're going to use it, say, on a 300 and also a 223, you just want to make sure it's super light. So, you know, make sure you get something that's like 100% titanium. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the one that's probably the most popular for us here is going to be the Banish 30, and it's going to work on the 300 Blackout, the 308, 270, you know, a 6.5, but then it also works on a 223 as well. It's also modular, so you could shorten it up if you just want to do, say, 7 inches mm -hmm. on your 223 and then do the full 9 inches on your, you know, 300 Blackout. Is it also a quick detach? 
You know, it's it's a direct thread. Okay. Um, you know, the and I get that if you have one on there, but you know, it'll probably just spin off. Whatever you have it on now, it'll spin off. Oh, sure, yeah. Because what I've seen is typically you're gonna most you'll see a lot of hunting suppressors are set up for direct thread because they've shown it gets better accuracy. Mm-hmm. Typically, I have thought of a quick detach more of if you're using a short barrel rifle and you want to get that extra um, sort of, um, you know, that be able to handle that blast between the actual firearm and the silencer to have that big break in there. Mm. That QD mount will help if you're using it on, say, like a short barrel rifle. But typically, if you're using it on a regular 16 inch plus, you know, th- you know, 300 blackout and then you use it on a regular 16 inch plus 223, mm. a direct threat is going to be more accurate. More accurate, I see. Uh, and yeah. and, and uh, less weight, typically, too. It's not going to add as much weight because typically those brakes are stainless steel, so that adds more weight. Um, and yeah, just it, it also, then you're having to buy one for each gun. So when you look at those and they're 100, 125 bucks or whatever each, then you're having right. to put one on each gun. And the hard part is you're still turning it. So some people are like, well, it's a quick detach. Well, it's not like a, a air compressor, you kind of pinch them together. You still have to turn it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's like two and a half to three cranks, I think, to really get that thing on there. Um, right. and I guess the, um, what, what's the, when, when you're removing a suppressor or changing it from one gun to another, whether it's quick detach or direct thread, uh, what are the, what are the highs and lows, I guess, or what are the benefits and, and risk involved in that? Like, is it, are the threads going to wear out quicker on a direct thread? I mean, that piece is still, you can, you can repair that piece. So it's not that big a deal, I guess, but I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I've heard that people say that. No. So typically when you're not using, um, you know, the threads and you don't have a break on there, you got to put a thread protector to protect your threads anywhere that are Mm -hmm. on the actual barrel. And then the silencer, I, you know, it'd be hard to like, you know, get messed up in there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we used to do a lot of testing where we would go and test like every silencer on the market and then do like sound testing on them. And what we found is, um, believe it or not, I mean, we had gun guys doing this. So these are people that are in the industry, manufacturers. Um, for some reason, people would think they had that that QD mount on, right? And the next thing you know, it's going down range. Right. Yeah. So that's, I think that just, it's, it was kind of a reminder for me that, gosh, it, it seems idiot proof. You just spin it on and turn, but there's more moving parts than you think. Some of them you have to lock, you know, some of them you have to switch over to, you know, a different way or put it on a different way. And, you know, you're having to screw the brake on. Typically you're going to want to have to time that brake so that it's pointing in the right direction. So you're going to have to use, you know, rock set and individual shims. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems like if, if the goal is kind of quick and easy, of course, nowadays it seems like a lot of people are just putting a suppressor on and kind of leaving it on too in some applications. Well, that definitely a direct threat would be, better for that i mean there's no question about that Uh, i i guess uh so if i have direct thread and i'm interchanging between two different platforms what have you guys done any testing on how much that degrades the threading um you know i haven't you know typically we put like anti-seize on there Mm -hmm. just to kind of keep it um you know so it's easy to get on and off i haven't seen anyone I have never had anyone come and say, hey, they're worried about, you know, the threads wearing down or coming loose. I mean, to your point, though, if you're using a 223, which is a half by 28, Mm -hmm. and then you're using a 300 blackout, which is a 5.8 by 24, there's going to be an adapter in the middle. So you're actually screwing an adapter into the, um, you know, the 5.8 by 24 threads, converting it down to a half by 28. So then the only touch points are the barrel and the actual, you know, threads of the adapter. Makes sense. All right, enough technical questions. Uh, <laughs> let's actually do a show here because I've just been asking. I, I have you here, so I'm asking you a bunch of personal questions. No, please, yeah, absolutely, that's no, um, good. Uh, and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna buy one. I'm, I'm actually, I, I think I'll buy one of these Banish 30s and to put it on my uh, five five six, which is 16 inches. Um, 
and I'll maybe you can uh, I'll, I'll go through the process and then yeah not not right now but yeah, yeah but I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of I'll kind of uh, show them how it all sure. works because I think a lot of people yeah. um, a lot of people aren't doing it I mean you know you go to a retail environment and they have what they have like I said before, you ask them to order something and then they order it and then they sell it to somebody. I mean, it's, it's, I, I really prefer to go direct to consumer anytime I have the ability to do that. It just cuts out, you know, middlemen and things like that. Um, yeah. And, and that's really kind of how our whole business model started. Cause it just seems like, like I always say, if you have to transfer the silencer from the manufacturer to the wholesaler, wholesaler, dealer, dealer to customer, and the, and the government's involved in every one of those processes, it, something's going to go wrong. Sure. 100%. <laughs> just, just too much. Yeah. So, um, a lot like when I mentioned the banish, you know, we're ordering these a thousand SKUs at a time. So we have the serial number sitting on the shelf. So it's easier for us to just start issuing them, you know, as the paperwork comes in. So it just made the process smoother for the customer on the back end. But um, yeah, that's totally what we found too is being a single point of contact for any questions you have as far as, you know, manufacturing or paperwork or delivery to your front door. It's one point of contact. The other thing is, because we're holding the actual item and uh, we had it made for us, we let you pay while you wait. So a lot of guys will say, hey, you know, my wife's going to kill me if I give you, you know, 800 bucks today and right. I don't see it for six or eight months. How about I give you 100 bucks today? And we say, sure, let's get started. So, you know, guys kind of call in and kind of name their price. Hey, here's how much I want to give you today to get it started. We just say, hey, as long as you have it paid off before we ship it to you, we're happy. Because um, it gets you in the game and everybody knows once you get one, you're going to get more than one. <laughs> yeah, that's it is uh, like tattoos in that way. I think yeah, you just totally. kind of get addicted to it. It's fun. It's we're dudes, man. It's we're either going to buy boats or fucking jet skis or some dumb shit like that. So it may as well be something you can use to have fun. And <laughs> yeah, true, true. Put that's some funny. food on the table. Um, yep. Okay, cool. So this show, I don't I don't know if uh, if we've gotten into it or, or, or if Baker or uh, your uh your assistant told you, but the show citizen is the basic premise of the show is that, um, you can either whine about your rights all the time and your circumstance in life and sit around and wait for somebody else to secure those rights for you. And, uh, you will be a subject under rule. And, uh, that is what it is. And, or, or you can choose to, you know, perform the responsibilities required of you to secure your own rights. And then you're a citizen. That that is actually the definition of a citizen is somebody who uh, has the rights and responsibilities conferred to them by us, by the state or whatever. So, um, just in principle, what are your thoughts on that? Because you guys give the give a lot of people the ability to you know or assist people uh, in helping helping themselves, whether it's protecting themselves. I guess that's probably a lesser. Uh, effect of, of a suppressor, but uh, being able to feed your family and not damage your fucking hearing long term is a good thing yeah. to do. Because to be yeah. honest, when I'm hunting, I'm not wearing earplugs most of the time. I know that's not the right answer, but I need to be able to hear what's going on around me. Totally. Yeah. So, no, I think that um, that's 100% where we are as a corporation. I would say, sort of an interesting tangent from us as an organization at Silencer Central. Um, we have a unique relationship with ATF where when we want to do something differently than the way they currently allow it to be done, we approach them with, here's a list of reasons why it doesn't conflict with federal law. Here's the reasons why we want to do it. And we want to work together to figure out an answer. And believe it or not, over the last 20 years, 
we've created four or five processes where we could do things that I'm not saying other dealers can't do, but we just went to them and said, Hey, kind of like you said of, if you don't fight for your freedom and if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. So we just sat down with senior management at ATF. I mean, I've had the director of the ATF visit us here in South Dakota and just sit down with them and say, Hey, here's some things that make it really difficult for customers to get these. There's really no law mandating this and you're just forcing it down our throat because that's the way it's always been done. Uh, these were all these laws were written in the 86 and in the 30s, and they don't really um, talk about digital. We want to talk about how we could do our process digitally and it won't conflict with federal law. And it probably would make it easier for you to regulate us if you could come here and see everything digitally. And in most cases, believe it or not, they've agreed to it. So um, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, the hot button for me is I just got out of a staffing meeting and I'm hearing that our you know, one way we communicate with our customers is via text messaging. We find that, you know, if I text you and say your silencer is approved, I get a call in about two minutes. If I send you an email, I may never hear from you. Right. Yeah. So the the carriers are blocking us because we're firearms. So it just really burns me up. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, break through that because I feel like we're being discriminated against because we're a firearms business. And it's not like these are marketing messages. These are people already bought from us and we're just trying to help them get their product and tell them where they're at in the process. And it's, it creates issues for us if we can't communicate with our customers. So I think that a lot of people have been sort of subjected to this. Like when I first tried to get a loan to buy my first building, Wells Fargo basically told me your reputational risk because you have the word silencer in your name and I had to find another bank. And so I've been a big advocate at a state level that we need to overturn that law where, you know, you can't discriminate against the farms business if it's, you know, regulated and it's, you know, lawful business in South Dakota if you're not willing to work with us, then you shouldn't be allowed to work with the state of South Dakota when they need banking services. So um, definitely a libertarian at heart. And our businesses run that way that if you let the ATF tell you what you can and cannot do, you have to challenge them and ask them to show you in writing where the federal statutes give them the authority to mm -hmm. execute that. And if they don't, then let's sit down and talk about how we can create a win-win where uh, we're you feel like we're in compliance, but we're also not being held accountable to some arbitrary uh, ruling or, you know, insight they decided to pull out of their hat. This episode of Citizen is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture. You can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee, whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean. Or if you use a Keurig and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wider uh, array of options for that. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. So go to BlackRifleCoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club. Use the code CITIZEN and get 20% off your first order. This episode of Citizen is also brought to you by GhostBed.com forward slash Drinker Bros. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code Drinking Bros at GhostBed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. If you get the 40% uh, off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months. That's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So 
It works out great for you. works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for us. Drink it, bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best. The mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, the banking industry especially has been difficult to work with for a lot of people. Social media, uh, uh, probably to a larger yes. degree, I guess, but yes. the banking industry as well. It's it's It does seem like I, – I think you're on the right track with that because – the idea of, of um, prohibiting a potential customer or not working with somebody uh, because they're dealing in what is a constitutionally protected right seems yeah. seems like it should be elite. Now, as, as a private business, maybe you can do whatever you want. But as you yeah. said, if you're working with the government in any capacity, that should go away. Like you should be able to if you're if you're if you're restricting people's access to things that are constitutionally guaranteed as a private business. That might be your right to do that, I guess, because you're not the government. But yeah. you, you don't have the right then to get money to, to to earn taxpayer money. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, like it doesn't make any sense. I tell you, I went head to head with the state of South Dakota, like on some legislation the National Shooting Sports Foundation mm -hmm. created, and I boy, I got hit in the face. I mean, they had 20 lobbyists. They flew in people from all over the country, and they had done a great job. They had every bank in every small town, even the small banks that don't practice this. There must be some kind of financial benefit to them for the big banks, because the big banks instructed all the small banks to call all the legislators. So the legislators are looking at me face to face, saying, "Hey, my banker called me and told me this is bad." bad deal. We shouldn't sign off on this. So really every committee I testified in and said, I am a victim of this. This is discrimination. I hire hundreds of people in the state of South Dakota. We do hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. This is just feels unlawful. I got no traction, which really shocked me to be honest with you. I thought they would really buy into that, you know, poor guy generating business here and he's getting, you know, put down. But Wells Fargo, I think has their charter here. I think Citibank has their charter in South mm -hmm. Dakota. So they did a heck of a job just sort of putting the squeeze on me. And what's your uh, what's your plan now? You know, I worked with um, National Shooting Sports Foundation where they tried to make it a broader law, so it's not specifically to banking. Mm. Even some parts of agriculture are being discriminated against, and so they tried to open it up a little bit broader. Uh, agriculture, obviously, really big in South Dakota, so you know it became a hey, if you discriminate against agriculture or banking, and they gave a couple other different categories and examples, and you and you are you know they 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 kept it really vague too. It says basically if you have a written policy against this. Um, then you can't apply as a contractor to provide banking services to the state of South Dakota. So I think it's got a better chance now that it's a little bit broader. Mm. Have you ever thought about uh, maybe teaming up with some other large weapons or, or related industry people and starting your own bank? I mean, it, it generally takes about 15 to $20 million in capital to, to start a small credit union. Now that's a good point. You know, and I, and I, because I've almost maxed out my bank, believe it or not, here locally mm. borrowing, just operating capital because we're pushing so much through. So yeah. the, the, the point there was, hey, you're with the biggest bank in the state of South Dakota. It's locally owned, but you've already maxed out kind of your capacity with them. What's the next step? And it's a bigger bank that's not going to go for it. So sure. it's how do you then find another small bank? But no, I agree. That's definitely something to think about. Hard part is the population is just not as big in South Dakota and we don't have as many people in the different industries or even people that are willing to kind of stick their neck out, unfortunately. Uh, sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in South Dakota, I suppose. Oh, true. It's, it's, good point. Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah. Good point. Yeah. It could be for other states could use it as well. True. Yeah. Right. 
Um, yeah, I think that might be something that we need to look. So one of my, uh, one of my go-to talking points is that, you know, people that want to limit government conservatives, libertarians, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, the best way to limit government is to, uh, wean yourself and your community off the tit first. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the best way to do it. And how do you do that? You find problems that the government's solving and you solve them yourself, or you find things the government's doing and you do it yourself and box those assholes out so they can't get their grubby little fingers in there. And to be honest, I think we're long overdue and maybe, maybe, maybe crypto has something to do with it, but I still find it entirely too volatile. But, uh, some kind of financial services for people who are being who, who are exercising constitutional rights but being discriminated against it seems like it's probably about time for something like that to happen yeah i agree yeah just the government once they have that power they're never gonna let go of it so it just kind of you know gradually creeps in more and more and more yeah and it may look to to, to be frank you may not you personally but uh whomever decides to do that if anyone should would probably have to start the bank, the financial service under the auspices of something else. Right. Yeah, and not to say, point. Oh, we're the gun bank, but you know, ultimately yeah. once you're, uh, once you've applied to the regulatory agencies and you have a credit union or a bank or something like that, you can choose to do business apparently with whomever you want. And there's nothing yeah, you can totally. fucking do about it at that point. Um, yeah, totally. uh, so one of the other things, you know, you, you provide a service. What, what's your guys, main value proposition for the suppressor you know what i mean like if when you go to let let me let me phrase this in a different way Mm -hmm. you get called in front of congress to discuss this issue because they're going to vote on something and they're like well why does a regular ordinary person need a suppressor now i reject that line of thinking outright because it's none of your fucking business what i need but let's just say for the sake of argument what's your what's your guys value proposition to people who may not agree with private ownership of suppressors yeah, so I always lean on what we were talking about earlier. It's not a it's not a public safety issue, and that's typically what law enforcement and politicians act like they're interested in. So you could sort of say, hey, it's not a it's not a public safety issue. If you look at suppressors, silencers used in crimes, almost 100 percent of the time it was homemade. It wasn't bought mm-hmm. through the current process, the arduous process of buying a, a suppressor. So there's no public safety issue. Number one. Typically, I say it's 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 a higher clientele. If someone can afford a toy that with the tax stamp is going to cost them, you know, anywhere from eight hundred to fifteen hundred bucks, and they might have to wait, you know, nine months to a year to get, um, these people are very well off and and in a position where they can control the possession of that. It's not going to be in someone else's hands, and the likelihood of it getting stolen is limited because it just doesn't have much street value, if any. So I talk about the kind of clientele that's actually buying it to let them know. Um, I, I usually try to go to the hunting side in South Dakota just because there's so many hunters and mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, most of the people I go to church with on Sunday own one of these that you would never expect would own one. But they hunt and maybe they have a neighbor that's close by. They don't want their neighbor they're hunting or they don't want to disturb their neighbor. Or maybe they do target shooting and they don't want to hurt, you know, their own ears and mm-hmm. Or maybe they have a grandkid or a daughter or a spouse that wants to shoot with them and to be able to continue to talk back and forth and both use suppressors makes that hobby more enjoyable for them. So typically I try to drill it down to the actual person who's using it so they can visualize them as to who they are. But sure. um, yeah, you know, I'm, I I mentioned earlier, I'm a pharmacist by trade. So my kids say, hey, it's school and they ask, what does your dad do? I usually just say, tell them I'm a pharmacist. It just makes it simpler. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point about, so, and the law in Texas is, uh, you can hunt year round with no, uh, 
no reservation and no regulation on your own property provided you have 10 or more acres. Now that sounds like a big piece of land, but to be honest, it's not that very, it's not very big. And you're going to, if you're, if you're living on, let's just say it's only 10 acres, you're still going to be living around other people probably, right? There's still neighbors. They may be, they may be 200 feet away or 300 feet or however fucking far it is, but they're still there. And to be honest, like I live in an area kind of similar to that. It's not quite that big, but it's, I've got a decent spot and I'd love to just walk out of my backyard and smoke one of those bucks that are, that are cruising around. I'd love to do that, but you know, I'm not, even in my current situation, I'm not going to go out there and start firing loud ass rounds with my, my geriatric neighbors. They're going to think they're under attack (laughs) or something. You know what I mean? No, hundred percent. Totally. That's, you know, the first shows I started working, we were over in Minnesota where the population is a little bit more dense and they would Mm -hmm. say things like, well, my neighbor said he doesn't mind if I shoot, but I never hear him shoot. So that was the signal to them that, Hey, I kind of want to keep it on the down low a little bit. And especially at night, if someone's shooting coyotes at night and the farmers invited them to come to their land to help them clear out their coyotes mm-hmm. that are killing their calves, then there is a benefit to keep it quiet just for the, you know, the resident you're using their land near their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Um, so you said uh, you're a libertarian at heart. I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of confusion about what that really means these days. A lot of people yeah. are. Uh, a lot of people feel politically homeless because the Republicans aren't conservative really anymore. So they, so people just kind of self-identify as libertarian, but I'm not, they, when I ask them, when I drill down, I'm like, well, that's not really what libertarian is. You're just like, you're, they're, they're, there's still an element of government interference in your life that you're comfortable with. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, from your perspective and South Dakota is a pretty good place to be if you're a libertarian, by the way, oh, if, yeah, totally. uh, from, from your perspective, what does it mean to you in 2023 to be a libertarian, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. So I don't know if you've ever taken that libertarian test. Was the shortest uh, political test online or whatever? Yeah. It always plugs me as a libertarian. Um, you know, I was I was talking to my assistant when I was walking into our media room because I told her I said I'm you know wholehearted libertarian. I've registered as a libertarian politically for years, but then you can't vote in primary, so mm. create some issues there. But um, you know, I see it as in 2023 is limited government. What I see people doing that are even Republicans is uh giving handouts as far as government payouts you know subsidies you know trying to pick winners and losers which you know it's kind of that what i feel like i'm a victim of with you know they, they won't lend money to me because i'm a you know in the firearms business so that feels like they're picking winners and losers and i feel like the government tries to do that hot button for me even in south dakota is just we they say that probably 80 percent of the corn grown in the state is subsidized through like all the ethanol because it goes to ethanol plants and then it's it's all subsidized by the federal government or wouldn't even exist right so to me, it's about all government intervention. I just feel like anything the government touch, they screw up and they're not efficient. So it's how do you find a way to kind of get the government out of everything? And I'm, a, and on the flip side, I'm a very much a capitalist because when they say, hey, we want to build a new stadium, we want to do this. I'm like, well, if there's truly a need for that, then you would think that the private citizens and the entrepreneurs in the city would actually build it. Why should we increase my taxes so that we can build a stadium that we think we need? Mm-hmm. If the business people didn't think it made sense, why, well, why would we think we know better than them? So I would say from a sheer capitalist, um, I'm 100% libertarian as far as I, I hate giving my money to the government for them to redistribute it. And I don't think it's fair you know, from a business perspective either to pick winners and losers and use their money to do that. Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, th- just the subsidies thing in general, it's like... Mm-hmm. Why, why? When does the government interfere with uh, private affairs and it works out well? It, it seems like they got a pretty bad track record at all that stuff. And then you know, oh, 100%. Um, 
we but we accept all this stuff because it's convenient i guess i don't know i, I really don't understand why people do it and i agree with you i think so w- one extreme example is the military you you mentioned um if uh <clears throat> if a service or product needs to exist and people will figure out how to bring it to market that's typically been the case without government intervention and and I hear like, what about roads? Like, okay, cool. Do you just think we're not going to have roads? Like if the government doesn't build roads, they hire contractors to do that shit. First of all, yeah, good point. Yeah, but, totally. Um, the military is a good example of the, I think because it's an extreme example, but the, the underlying ethos behind this, it's like, if you don't have a compulsory or even a standing army, then anytime you want to go to war, you have to convince people that it's the right thing to do or that it's beneficial for us to do it or something like that. But with a standing army, we just fucking deploy people and they have no saying. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you throw them in jail if they say no. Right. Yeah. So why not apply that same logic to, uh, and by the way, this is from the founding fathers. If you read the preceptor, uh, by Robert Dodsley or any of the works of Thomas Jefferson. A standing army is one of the things they were pretty keen on not having. And I don't think we, we really should have one because look at how we use it. But uh, yeah, that's, an, that's an extreme example. Reduce that down to whatever. Professional sports stadium. That's one that you mentioned. That's a good, that's a yeah. good one as well. Because typically the city loses money on that. When I say the city, what I mean is the fucking taxpayers. Because the city doesn't have yeah. money. The state doesn't have yeah. money. The federal government doesn't have money. They steal our money. They, they extract yeah, wealth from us. Um, so if you leave it in the hands of private citizens, uh, even at the collective level, you have to convince people that it's worthwhile. You know what I mean? And I think that's yeah. a, a that's a really important part of the process. When we're going when we're debating whether or not to spend a fuckload of money or do something rash or extreme, it's probably a good idea to go through the process of getting consensus. Cause what happens is you suggest your entire idea and somebody's like, Well, section two A, that's not really gonna work and here's why. You're like, Oh, that's a good idea, right? You do this as a business owner. When you when you're going through a business plan or a marketing plan or something like that, you put it on the table and everybody chimes in. This is a very reasonable way to conduct business, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, so one of the other principles that we um, that I'm really keen on, as a matter of fact, it's the it's the first one in the list, is uh, I'll support and defend the constant or I'll support and defend liberty against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, it's things are getting pretty tense in America right now. There's a lot of talk about national divorce or I I don't take civil war talk seriously. That's stupid because it's like a civil war between whom and over what exactly, you know what I mean? It's it's not like, it's not like there's a clear line between different groups of people that are going to have some fight or whatever the fuck that's stupid. But I do the, the whole national divorce thing sounds very similar to just how the government was set up in the first place, like republicanism, yeah, but federalism as well, where the states have all the rights except for the ones specifically enumerated in the Constitution. That's that seems you know, when I when I hear people talking about these extreme measures, I'm like, yeah, I mean that that is it, it, it sounds extreme, but that's just the way the government was set up in the first place. So it's not really extreme; it's just extreme because we've accepted this this weird version of America where. Um, we do all the things that we hate as a government and then just com- complain and blame it on the other side of the political aisle. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. So what are you, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I don't. The question is like, what is the solution? Because I I definitely agree with the um, concept that you know the government only continues to get bigger and bigger. So as they get bigger, they're getting more control. Um, and then the other part, from a business perspective, as interest rates grow up, that go up, that impacts the borrowing power of the government. Now they're paying so much in interest. Well, that number is just going to keep growing as a as a percentage to being even larger, and at some point, it's going to collapse. Yeah, you would think so, right? Um, yeah. Because what what we've done to stave off collapse the past couple of years is just print money. Yep. Um, 80% of all U.S. currency has been printed in the last 24 months. That seems probably not a good idea. Um, yeah, wow. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, for you as a business owner, how how has this all affected you? You know what I mean? Like your, your, yeah, your day-to-day I mean, sales. We, yeah, we well, we plan ahead. Like we're thinking that, you know, my advisors are telling me they're expecting like a um, like a depression, like a natural mm-hmm. national depression in uh, 2030. So they're asking me to sort of plan for that. I mean, that's, you know, seven years off, but still just from a planning perspective of how can you get rid of all debt so that you can keep your employees if you have, you know, a true depression mm-hmm. where, you know, 30, 40 percent of the population are unemployed. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, we I don't feel like we've been impacted as much by uh, the whole recession thing. I mean, I feel like um last year we were growing quicker than we are this year so i feel like a little bit tightening but the interesting thing about silencer central is most people have not heard of us as much because we haven't you know before we were dakota silencer and we were more of a regional company it's been within the last five years that we grew to a a national company and really advertised nationally after covid so um you know i feel like there we still have a lot of growth just because people haven't heard of us so the more people hear about us they kind of like that idea of like you said buying direct you know consumer Mm. to manufacturing we mail to your front door um but i do feel like it's gonna continue to hurt demand and then if it hurts demand you know what do you do because i sat through a talk yesterday with the uh, um, federal reserve bank chair for minnesota and you know in so many words they're saying we're trying to crash the economy it's growing too quick so that's just not great to hear when you're in a room full of ceos in a nice way he's saying i'm trying to destroy the economy to get the inflation you know down but also to keep unemployment at you know two percent so that's 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 a, a seesaw that doesn't typically you know they're making decisions that have large you know large impact and typically they create a recession so it just it scares the hell out of me that you know these academic people are going to be making decisions that affect all of us yeah i wonder uh well, well i here's what i like to say to people don't take financial or business advice from somebody who hasn't run a fucking business before. Uh, Like I, I, I started the process of, uh, an MBA after I got my first master's degree, I started the process of an MBA, uh, at Penn state. And I, what I found was that none of the people talking to me about it had ever run a successful business before. And this is while I was the VP of marketing at black rifle. And we were, we were doing pretty well, you know, yeah. and I'm like, uh, yeah, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna bail on this. This is fucking stupid. Um, yeah, true. but, uh, do you think this is a question I wanted to ask you, do you think because of all the, the resurgence in, uh, like farm to table food, like sourcing your own food going out and, and hunting animals, and political turmoil and things like that. And, and, and when I say political turmoil, I don't mean, like the the nonsensical civil war bullshit. I just mean like the the rampant push to ban some gun or another because of some scary feature it might have or whatever stupid shit's going on. Do you think that 
guns, ammo, peripherals are becoming almost recession proof in the same way that other things like gambling and booze and things like that have been historically. I think so. It it does seem like whenever there's any kind of recession coming on or inflation or, or, or gun legislation in the barrel that people go buy more guns than ever. Yeah. I, you know, we definitely saw it during the pandemic, right? Mm. People saw that, you know, they want to get rid of the police, but no one's going to protect me and my family and my money. So there's, tons of first-time gun buyers which um yeah as people feel less secure they're going to continue to gravitate more towards firearms that and and the honest truth is it helps us in a couple ways one it probably drives sales and interest which is obviously good from an economic perspective but it also makes it harder for them to push through gun control laws Mm -hmm. if they don't feel like they've got the political support when you you got soccer moms as your number one buyers of firearms during the um you know the pandemic it's gonna be hard to convince them that you need to crack down on make making guns harder to buy yeah uh for sure yeah I, I i don't know how they vote on those issues but i do know their behavior i don't i don't i don't know if uh you mentioned it so i'll bring it up uh i don't know if you guys as a company track this sort of thing but over the past two and a half to three years uh gun ownership has gone up precipitously amongst women women suburban women and then uh black people as well for the yep. first time I, I think 35% of all new gun purchases are black people now, which is yeah. great because there's people out in the community like Maj Tori and a couple of other people who are like, you know, you, you, nobody's coming to save you. You got to protect yourself and your families. You know what I mean? Things are getting fuck, oh, yeah. fucked around here. So you need to be able to protect yourself and teaching people safe and responsible gun ownership, things like that. Have you guys noticed anything that like that with your business or do you even track that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, not as much. It's sort of like, you know, I used to say that, um, you know, we would always do better when there was Democrats in office and concerns about gun control issues. But I think it was more because we work so many events. So the events turn out are bigger when there's a, you know, when you have a gun show and people are worried about that kind of stuff, you'll see attendance go up, you know, two X, three X, and it just brings more people through the door. So then you end up selling more just because of that. Um, You know, we did see a ton of sales during the whole pandemic, but it's hard to know if it was just based on, like I said, our ability to do a touchless process and then mail it to your front door. Um, we, yeah, we don't track it as closely, but I do know that, you know, typically if guns are on people's minds, it does, it does help our sales. It's not always a hundred percent correlated, but it's pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I would think so. Right. Uh, although I don't know that the, um, I don't know that your market has been hit by that yet. It's just the peripheral market is always lags a little behind, I suppose. Yeah, um, than the general market but it is it is a fact that uh and this is um i can't remember who compiled these statistics i think it was nssf actually that did this but it was 35 percent of all new and, and it's it, it's the the uh, cohort of uh black folk who were buying guns for that like first time gun buyers is what i'm talking about right. yeah. it's it's almost all it, not almost all it's it's the majority of them are women as well which is interesting right. because that's not been the case for you, you, you mentioned something earlier about uh, a husband buying a gun and having to, you know, put pay it off over time to make sure his wife doesn't get too suspicious. Yeah. That that's been the norm for a very long time. It's like, hey, uh, yeah, what, what's totally. this? What's this charge? Like, oh, don't worry about that. Um, but you know, they yeah. they buy shoes and purses and shit, so it was, so it was all even. But now, <laughs> now women are buying guns at record rates, um, and the consensus is at least from what I've heard is that there it's, it's mostly about personal protection, 
but I've seen a lot more people get into the the sporting side of it as well. I I don't know that those two things are necessarily mutually exclusive, but it's very interesting to me how that's all playing out. Yeah, I mean, look at what uh, what was it yesterday where the mayor of Chicago didn't even make the reelection list, uh, Mm. former, you know, current sitting mayor. And everyone says it's, you know, it's basically crime. Everyone's scared. (laughs) You don't want to get shot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not that big of a concern in the the Dakota region compared to uh, Chicago. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it used to be that people voted with. The, the number one reason somebody would vote for one candidate or another is because of their wallet, right? Yeah. So they look at their bank account. It's looking good. I'm going to vote for whoever's in office. Now, the second thing has always been crime, right? It's it's yeah. seems pretty obvious. And I don't know what this, uh, this idea of defunding the police is so stupid. Uh, LAPD just put out a tentative list of 28 crimes they're not going to respond to anymore. They're gonna send, yeah, yeah. They're gonna send like social workers or some shit to, <laughs> and one of them was um, disputes between landlords and tenants and stuff. Like, I don't know in L.A. in the city of L.A., you're really not gonna show up for that with a gun. That seems like uh, problematic to me. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's probably not the best idea. <laughs> totally. But like, yeah, I like. I I really have enjoyed watching your your guys business over the year watching it grow i think it's really important um thanks and 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 also the the not outreach but the the work you do with the federal government because it's easy just to say fuck you i'm going to do what i want but as a business owner you can't do that i mean i can i can i can do that personally with my own personal stuff because i'm one out of what fucking 40 million people who own this kind of shit but yeah, true. if you try to do, if you try to sell stuff online and don't forge a path forward with partners and stuff like that, then this kind of equipment is not going to be available for people. You know, good point. Oh, totally. So, what do you see coming down the pipe now? What what new gun legislation or whatever do you guys have your eye on right now that might become problematic? You know, I usually watch the states because the states, it's easier for them to implement it on a state Mm -hmm. level. And then once it happens at a state level, it goes to a federal level. Um, I still think there's that big push to like do universal background checks. Um, You know, even if you're gifting or uh, selling a private sale in state, I think a lot of states would love to do that. That could be something to surface. You know, the whole red flag laws where, you know, they want to try to pick winners and losers as to who should and should not have guns. I'm afraid could, you know, trickle its way up. Uh, maybe to a federal level at some point, but you know, sometimes gridlock's good, right? Mm. There's not a whole lot they can get done. If uh, they have such a razor thin margin in the Senate, it's going to be hard to push anything through. Um, You know, one thing that we've been looking at trying to push through is taking that $200 tax stamp. So that tax stamp that everyone pays goes directly to the treasury and it kind of goes into the slush fund. And we're interested in finding ways to put that back. Um, where it benefits our customers. So it would go into building ranges mm. or maybe go into conservation to help hunters and also potentially um, force the ATF to have a certain turnaround time on approvals. So, you know, it would help sort of fund whatever we can do to help sort of hold them accountable to push those through in a more timely manner so that you could put some more, um, you know, something measurable in place. So like if I if I apply for a federal firearms license, the ATF has 60 days to respond. I mean, it's kind of a statutory mandate. 
if I ask for an address change, the ATF has 30 days to respond. It's a statutory mandate. If you buy a handgun and they have and they can't tell from your background if you can legally own it or not, you know, after five days, you could transfer it from the dealer to the customer. So we're looking for, you know, is there some legislation like that where we could say, hey, you know, after 30 days, um, it's automatically approved. The customer gets the suppressor if you can't figure yourself out in that amount of time. So there's a lot of things we're looking at to try to hold them more accountable and to also find ways to get that tax money that goes directly to the treasury back to benefit the actual people that are paying it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, so the turnaround time on approvals, that's something that got implemented at the VA for VA disability claims, uh, I think in 2015, I believe it was after that whole scandal with people dying, waiting on treatment in Phoenix. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, now I think if you, I think it's six, uh, six months, I believe is the maximum amount of time that they can, that, that, that's for an amendment or for an original claim. I think they only have three months to decide on it now, instead of, it used to be like, well, for me personally, I got out of the army in late 2010 and uh, a couple months later went and did all my paperwork and medical bullshit, uh, Cause you have to go to an actual base somewhere to do that stuff. So I had to drive back wow. to a base and went through that whole process, got, you know, blood drawn, x-rays, blah, blah, blah. And then it was 900 and some days before I ever got uh, wow. uh, a response from them. And then it was another year and a half or it was another year and a half. Yeah. Until I got my final rating. So, and in all, it was about four and a half years to get that process done. And it, it can't be that difficult. You know what I mean? There's no yeah. way you, I, I, so I worked at, um, at, uh, USCIS and FDNS and fraud detection, national security. We do background checks and shit all the time. It doesn't take very long to do a background check, especially one like this. Like you have a list of yeah. things, uh, like here, here are the disqualifiers for being able to own a suppressor. It's very yeah. easy to find if you, if yeah. you meet one of those disqualifiers that you take maybe 10, 10 minutes tops per person to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's electronic. So they'll submit like a whole month's worth at a time now with the e-form system. So mm. they'll submit them to the ATF and get them back almost instantly to the FBI, to the ATF back and forth. It's almost instant on, I think 35% of them, they say get further reviews. So they have to be manually looked at. But yeah, I agree. It shouldn't take that long because the, the whole silencer is really just retitling it. It's taking the ownership from me, the dealer, mm. to the you know to the customer, to their trust. And that should be turnkey after we enter all that information in for them digitally. Um, they should really try to find a way to auto it just where, you know, we enter in everything you need and it just, there shouldn't be even a human having to look at it. They just don't have enough bodies. No, I agree. And it's easy for a lot of people to say, Hey, we should get rid of the $200 tax stamp completely. Hey, I agree hundred percent, but as long as Biden's an offset, that's not going to happen. I'm looking for some easy wins. Can we get that tax stamp to go to benefit us? Can we speed them up? Can we find ways to, you know, hold them accountable, create some things that would be a win-win that maybe we could get both sides of the aisle to agree to kind of that whole, you know, crawl, walk, run. And if we could get some momentum, then once we get some Republicans in office, then look at deregulating and putting these in the same classification as a firearm. Uh, do you think that's likely? Because when's the last time Republicans, when they've had a majority, have deregulated anything? Yeah, I know. And that's the truth. And this involves a tax. So to make a pro-gun statement and get rid of a tax, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy lift. I think that... One thing is, you know, there's there's only only like 3.2 million of these out there in the marketplace. And I I would argue most of them are owned by probably a million people. Most guys own two or three. So as that ownership pool grows, I think it's going to put more political pressure on people because right now it's just something politicians don't really know a whole lot about. Mm -hmm. Most of them, when I talk to them about them, they're like, well, I'm OK with suppressors, but I'm against silencers. You know, they just don't even realize <laughs> what they're talking about, you know. <laughs> 
That's funny. Um, and then of course there's, uh, since we're talking about it, uh, there's the, this firearm registry, de facto firearm registry, the ATF has been keeping that has over a billion records now billion would be, um, do you know of anything that's going on right now in the private sector to challenge this? Cause it is clearly not only unconstitutional, but there's a federal law preventing this specifically right it's not it's not an interpretation thing this is specifically illegal but it's still happening yeah yeah no i agree i don't know enough about it i just know that what you're you're accurate that every time we document a 4473 when a person fills it out it's sort of a paper trail confirming we gave the you know firearm to the uh, end user um if you go out of business you have to send that to them and they scan all those in so they have all those records and um now you have to keep them indefinitely recently it used to be only 20 years but now you have to keep them indefinitely. Um, and so we have them stacked up around here, but at some point now you have to keep them indefinitely. If we, you know, ever decide to get a new license or move, you know, got a different, you know, change the business or something and got rid of them, they would scan them all in and they would have them. Um, and it, you know, it's even scarier too, where they're allowing us as dealers to keep them electronically. So that's easier, easy, even easier for them to access that data um, and be able to find stuff more quickly. I know I went up to the, the where the National Farms branch is based is West Virginia, and that's where they do all the background checks for NICS, and that's where they do all this scanning in. And Gander Mountain went out of business up in Minnesota mm-hmm. area, and I was there right after that. They had 18, 18 wheelers full of 4473s out there in their parking lot and storage to be scanned in. So pretty much anybody that's ever bought a firearm at Gander Mountain their records you you are now part of a gun registry held by the atf essentially yeah yeah especially if you bought it before the camping world guy bought it so before that when they went out of business they closed all their locations Mm. and they had to send all their paperwork back in and when they send all that paperwork back in it gets scanned in now uh i don't hear a whole lot of republicans in congress asking for people to asking for the government to stop doing this as a matter of fact, at, at any point when Trump was in office, he could have signed an executive order demanding that they delete all those records, and he never did it. True. So I guess my this, – this isn't really a question. This is a statement. Uh, it's very clear that the Republican Party is not going to be any help here, whether no, – I agree. For whatever reason. So, um, you know, as, as somebody that deals in this business, do you have any kind of recommendation for the regular Joe out there who is just a gun owner? That's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, it is hard to know what to do because basically, like you said, the law says you can't have a federal registry. Um, you know, we had a situation here in South Dakota where if it were, if, uh, if a pawn shop was selling a firearm, then they had to submit it to this third-party database that was supposed to check to see if it was stolen. But basically what they did is they created a gun registry and then they charged other police departments to search against that database to determine whether the firearm they're trying to sell is stolen and almost create a business model for them by making all the pawn shops register every serial number of what they bought. And boy, I fought that for years here. I, I felt like I had gotten defeated at a state level and then they took it out and basically said anything with a serial number has to be reported. So that then it wasn't specific to firearms. Um, it's tough. I mean, like you said, you got to fight the battle because no one else is really standing up to fight it. Um, and it and it, people are not well educated. They don't realize what's going on kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, you know that's a big part of it. People have a lot going on, and is this the is this the battle I'm going to fight today? 
but I, I would encourage you uh, in the audience to probably prioritize this one because it's any, anytime anybody's look, there's only one reason somebody would try to take your ability to defend yourself away from you. There's only one reason for that. And that's because they don't want you to be able to defend yourself against them specifically. You know what I mean? That's why we wrote yeah. uh, the second amendment in the constitution in the first place. Um, very important that you get involved in this or at least pay attention and be informed. There's plenty of uh, organizations out there. You're, you're on the stump all the time talking about it. Uh, NSSF, uh, gunpolicy.org. There's, there's a lot of good organizations out there that are looking into this stuff and trying to keep people informed and filing fuck tons of lawsuits too, especially gun policy. They file lawsuits every single day. The, what, the FPC, the Firearm Policy Coalition. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're doing a really good job. So tell once again before we get out of here today, we gotta we gotta run. But uh, tell everybody about Silencer Central. Uh, summarize the process. How your process is different than walking into a gun store. Yeah. So I would recommend people just do a Google search. Silencer Central. Go to our website. Call our phone number. You know, we got a whole uh, basically a call center here full of sales guys that answer any question you have about suppressors. We sell anything on the market. So whatever you want, call and check. Um, we can help you realize that a lot of people don't realize you could buy one suppressor and you know, typically use it on every centerfire rifle you have. So, and then really the benefits I want our central brings is we manage all the paperwork for you. We're going to, you know, give you a free gun trust. We're going to send you all the paperwork digitally where you just sign it via DocuSign. We're going to upload all that digital information to the ATF eForms website. We're going to do everything where it's eForm submitted. So hopefully it's a little bit quicker in the transfer process. Then we're going to mail that suppressor right to your front door once it's approved. So it's a very turnkey process where we're managing the whole process for you really from start to finish. Uh, other things we offer, like I mentioned, is we let you pay while you wait. A lot of guys like that. We thread your barrels. So if you got some barrels that aren't threaded, no brakes on there and need to be threaded, we'll send you an empty gun case. You ship it to us. We thread it. We ship it right back to you. So, um, again, our whole goal and focus at Silencer Central for the last 18 years has been how to make the process simple. So if you've been on the fence and haven't, purchase one because you're kind of worried about the process. Uh, let us take that burden from you and, and manage it for you. That's a pretty good pitch. Pretty good pitch. Sounds great. I'm going to do it myself just to check out the process and I'll document it. Uh, so you guys can all uh, check it out as well. Look, I appreciate you coming today. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I appreciate having me. hundred percent. Thank you all for listening. This has been citizen.